Today's show is brought to you by Aptiv. Aptiv is a fabulous app and robust online community that allows you access to top-notch, motivating personal trainers who guide you through an audio-based workout that is timed to your choosing with fun, perfectly synchronized music. Like Netflix for fitness, Aptiv gives members unlimited access to their entire bank of high-end trainer-led workout classes. So if you're looking for fresh, high-quality, on-the-go motivating workouts that adapt to your lifestyle, I highly recommend Aptiv. In fact, if you head over to the curator playlists, you'll see a familiar face. I chose seven of my favorite Aptiv workouts so that you can get a well-rounded mix of workouts that will take you from intense cardio to restorative serenity. And these are some of my favorite workouts to do when I'm traveling or if I just have a spare 20 minutes between activities. And because they're the best, Aptiv is even offering Fed and Fit listeners a free 30-day trial when you sign up for monthly subscriptions at www.aaptiv.com. Be sure to enter the promo code FEDANDFIT, one word, at checkout in your first 30 days or on the house. Welcome back to another episode of the Fed and Fit podcast. I am your host, Cassie Joy Garcia, owner and founder of Fed and Fit. And today I'm really excited to bring you guys another reverse interview. And the very, I'm, I'm getting more brief with explanation of what a reverse interview is. Um, but essentially, a fabulous Fed and Fit reader or listener wrote in with a great question. And instead of having that dialogue via email, I invite this uh, very gracious person to come on to the show to record our conversation with the hopes that maybe it'll resonate with other folks out there. And I have a feeling today's call will do that. So today I am chatting with Jeff. He is a teacher just outside of Houston, Texas, and he's got some great questions stored up. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Hey, Cassie. Um, I have a question as far as, uh, I guess, the relationship of eating right versus the working out. Um, just a little bit of background. Uh, I've been a cyclist for 10 years. Uh, three years ago, I had uh, a major appendectomy, and I lost major weight, and probably more than I should have lost. But you know, being in a hospital isn't always the best. But I put on all that weight, and then a little bit extra. Um, and aside from cycling, I really just don't like doing just workouts just for the sake of working out. Um, I like having a purpose. And so I'm wondering if is it possible just to simply eat better, keep doing what I'm doing as far as uh, athletics and still expect the weight to come off? Or is there an expectation that you are having to do weights and, and those kinds of workouts as well? That's a really good question. Um, and how long has this kind of been happening where it's just slowed uh, down a little bit? Um, I guess probably in the last, probably about the last six months or so. Okay. Um, like I said, the appendectomy was three years ago. Um, and I got down from my normal of about 170 ish. I got down to 145. Uh, and, um, I did a pretty decent job. You know, I, I had to put some weight back on obviously. And I, instead of using it as a way to try to reset how I was eating, I kind of use it as an excuse of, okay, well, let me add some weight on, add some weight on. Mm -hmm. And I stopped, I stopped keeping track on, on the scale just cause I know that's not always the best way to measure health and weight. Um, but I stepped on the scale recently and it was up over 180 and I just was kind of surprised because I haven't really changed my eating habits at all. Um, and my wife and I, we talk about it a lot that we don't eat 
unhealthy. We're not eating a whole pizza. We're not stopping eating Starbucks all the time or really at all. Uh, mm -hmm. We don't drink. Um, so it's just kind of, I, th I think part of it is just age. Um, that just eating those every once in a while, not so great things are starting to kind of catch up to me. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think, I think you're right about that. And then how often do you cycle? I jump back into it uh, starting in July and I've been doing four times a week. Uh, prior to about the last 12 months or so, it was about like that. And then about the last year, I just, I hadn't really been feeling it. So I had taken off, taken some time off, uh, but being a teacher, I'm still up on my feet all day, every day. Uh, so it's not like we're sitting there doing really nothing at all. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. You definitely live a very active lifestyle. This is, I'm asking some of these questions cause it's a big puzzle to put together. Right. Um, and then as far as rest and hydration, would you say that you are pretty diligent about making sure you're getting in lots of water? I'm assuming on days that you uh, get out for a ride, you're drinking water, but what about those off days? Uh, hydration is actually really good, uh, especially once we're in school. I have a, a giant metal bottle of water that I bring to school. And even if I drink the whole thing, I'm drinking most of it, which is quite a bit of water. The rest is probably something I don't do quite as well. Uh, we're, I mean, we're lights out by 10 o'clock ish. Uh, we get up at five 30 every day for school. Um, and there are some, some days where I, I won't sleep till five 30, just stuff starts running through my head and I get up. So that's probably the, the one thing I could probably work on a little more, uh, for sure. And off the top of my head, but yeah, the hydration's good sleep, uh, probably not quite as good. Got it. Okay, perfect. And then four times a week cycle. So are you doing mostly long rides or short, uh, shorter interval rides? What does that usually look like? Uh, it's, I'm trying to do a mix. The long rides are actually tough to get in, just having a seven-year-old and all the responsibilities there and along with work. Uh, so I, I try to maximize time and just do some intervals and some sprints or ride kind of a, a higher tempo. Uh, but... I, I try to mix it up as much as I can. Over the summer, it's easier. You know, over the summer, I'll try to do, you know, a nice two-hour ride on the weekends, um, and then during the week, still try to squeeze in those those little short rides to to maximize time. Good. Yeah, that's a really great mix. And then um, one of my last questions for now, <laughs> I'll come up with more. Uh, but would you say that you and your wife, your family, I know you guys are very diligent about staying healthy with your food. Do you all typically eat the same meals or do you, uh, do you eat anything different? Does your, do your plates look different from hers? No, not really. Uh, dinner for sure is exactly the same. Uh, my breakfast, it's as boring as it is, is uh, last year I got into just doing eggs and bacon. Mm -hmm. um, so it's usually two to three eggs and then two-ish pieces of bacon. We do meal prep with the weekend. So I'll, I'll scramble up nine eggs and eight pieces of bacon or so. So I divide that over the course of three to four days, however long it gets me to. Um, so our breakfasts vary. Uh, lunches vary. It'll be um, maybe lettuce wraps with uh, ham and cheese or uh, we'll do grilled chicken breast that's another one that we kind of try to prep over the weekend mm -hmm. is, you know, we'll grill six chicken breasts, cut them in half. And that sometimes is lunch for the entire week. Uh, so as far as dinner though, that's always the same. Uh, same thing with our daughter. She eats you know, whatever we cook. That's, that's what she has having for dinner. Awesome. That sounds good. And would you say knowing what you know about your body and nutrition and what you respond to, do you, would you guess that you handle carbs relatively well carbohydrates, whether that's a potato or rice or something like that? Handled them in terms of... Metabolically, do they make you feel sluggish or do they give you energy? Potatoes, 
I'll be honest, potatoes don't really seem to bother me much, at least not that I've noticed. Um, mm-hmm. Bread I do, and bread I've actually really tried to limit is within reason. I mean, we'll, you know, we'll still do a sandwich occasionally. We'll stop at Panera Bread or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think it was, I think it was five years ago after our daughter was born, no, I'm sorry, seven years ago after she was born, I put on, I guess what you could call sympathy weight with my wife. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we, we, we decided to go paleo and we actually did a strict, you know, paleo or primal, whatever you want to call it for three straight weeks. And, uh, and we, we, you know, we felt great. And then we slowly introduced some of the bread and that kind of stuff. But um, it, it really almost kind of depends, honestly, of mm-hmm. where I get the, where, which place I get bread from. Uh, you know, I can eat a the Panera sandwich or whatever it is, and that's fine. But then I'll go to another place and the bread just sits really heavy. So I, maybe it's just their baking process. I, I'm not sure. Or the ingredients. Yeah. yeah, that could definitely vary based on, what they're using specifically, and there could be a specific part of what goes into their dough or ingredient that's um, bothering you, depending on where you're at. Well, that's really interesting. Uh, when you went paleo, would you say that that was a was it a, a typically when I when folks go paleo for the first time that you go pretty low carb, just because you know when you cut out bread, it's hard to remember to then to replace that, you know sandwich bread with a sweet potato on the side. Right. Um, so would you say that you went pretty low carb paleo or were you pretty, y'all were pretty uh, conscious about making sure you had carbohydrates? We actually went, we went pretty low carb. Uh, okay. I, I do. I remember for sure going through the, the withdrawals the first <laughs> week or so of not having the bread. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that was, it was tough, but by the time we got to, you know, week three or so, uh, it definitely got easier, but yeah, we were pretty strict. When we did it before. Got it. Okay. This is really helpful. Okay. And then a couple other questions. Man, I told you I'd have more. <laughs> <laughs> it's like pulling a scarf out of a magician's hat. Uh, so what about sugar intake, whether that's uh, refined sugars or even natural sugars, honey and maple syrup? Would you say that uh, that's a, um, something that you have on a regular basis or just occasionally? Um, uh, being honest, I would say probably regularly, but in the form of, um, half sweet and iced tea. Okay. Uh, you know, being in the South sweet tea is of course a huge thing and I, but I can't take, I can't take the sweet tea. Mm-hmm. So we'll do, we'll do half and half. Um, and that I have, I'll have tea on a regular basis, you know, a couple of glasses a day. Yeah. Um, not huge on dessert. I'll try to, I've tried to limit ice cream uh, to once, maybe twice a week. Uh, other than that, it'll be like dessert would be a couple of dark chocolate squares. Uh, yeah. Sh- sugars, if, you know, if I had to pinpoint one, I would say, you know, the bread and the sugar is, is, is probably the worst ones, but the, even still they're not yeah. on these levels where I'm, I'm, I'm expecting to see weight go up because I can pinpoint, okay, yeah, I'm eat, eating a sandwich every single day or anything like that. Right, right. Um, how often, how many times a week would you say that you do eat some sort of a baked bread? Um, or, or a bread product, I should rephrase, like, like a breakfast cereal, anything like that. Yeah. Uh, let's see, for sure on Sunday we have, um, we'll have breakfast tacos in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of just a tradition. Uh, and then I would say once, maybe once, one time after that. So maybe twice, I would say two to three times a week. Okay. And that's, and that's you know, one meal where we'd have a bread product. Got it. Okay. 
Um, that sounds good. And I, I meant to ask you this at the beginning. When you stepped on the scale and now you're above 180 and that was sort of alarming, did you step on it because you were suspecting that you were gaining weight or your clothes are starting to fit differently? Like what I get, I'm trying to get at is your body composition. Yeah. Has that changed or is it just the number? You know, I don't, when I look in the mirror, it doesn't seem like it does. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we, being the start of school, we clear out our closets the other day and I was going through and trying on some stuff. And, you know, of course the stuff that I bought right after I had the appendectomy, that didn't fit anymore, of course. <laughs> but even the stuff that was, kind of within my normal range, even that was fitting a little snug mm-hmm. um, to the point where I went in and bought just a couple of pairs of khakis that are um, just a notch above where I typically am just because I didn't feel like trying to squeeze into them, you know, in these first couple of weeks while I'm, while I'm dropping some of the weight. Uh, right. But it was it, it, honestly, as far as stepping on the scale, it was just because I hadn't done it in a while and I was just kind of curious yeah. to see where I was at. Gotcha. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And then caffeine, is that something aside from the tea that you have, uh, on a daily basis to, is, are you a coffee guy in the morning? And if so, how much? No, no coffee at all. Uh, sodas are really, really rare. Um, it's if we happen to be out somewhere and I know that they don't have very good tea or if I don't really want water, I'll, I'll get a Coke. So we're talking once, maybe every two, three weeks. Okay. Got it. Awesome. I think that it sounds like you just described my husband's diet. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very similar. Um, But that sounds great. Okay. So just for folks listening, in case you're curious, I am a certified nutrition consultant, but when I'm talking with somebody like Jeff over the phone, it's difficult. Normally when I work with folks one-on-one or when I used to have that one-on-one practice, and I do still do with a member of my team. Um, she's a certified nutrition therapy consultant and she works with people within the context of our fed and fit project and a one-on-one basis. But I stopped working with people cause I couldn't work with, you know, I, I was maxed out after a certain point. Um, but when I did, I, I'm just saying laying the context for listeners, Jeff, before mm-hmm. I get to kind of some ideas. But when I did, it was a much more involved process, you know, getting to know, for example, like I would be getting to know you, I would probably have you fill out a food journal for one to two weeks, send that in, and, and that would include notes on activity, sleep, things like that. So you and I really had something to look at. If you had it, a list of medications, which I'm not going to ask you for, those kinds of things, right, right. Um, would be what listeners, I want you to know what you would typically expect when you're working with a nutrition consultant. Now with chatting with Jeff, in order to keep it as, I guess, bird's eye view, 50,000 foot uh, <laughs> view as possible, I'm, these are the kinds of questions I'm asking because I think that these are all relatable things, right? And it's a, they're all pieces of the puzzle, like I said before, that once we kind of get an idea of how it fits together, we can kind of start to see maybe what's going on behind the scenes. Um, so my advice is going to match about the surface level deep uh, intake questions that we've done so far, right? So it's just going to be relatively surface level and some more ideas for maybe Jeff to decide if it fits for him or not, um, which is true in any case. But it, normally for folks, if you're going to work with a one-on-one, uh, you're going to get more detailed responses, meal plans, things like that. Okay, so that aside, disclaimer out of the way. Um, I, it's interesting to me. It sounds, the analogy that comes to mind, Jeff, in hearing about your story is, uh, you know, the analogy of the straw on a camel's back, right? So there's no ever, I think we've all heard the phrase, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back, 
Yeah. Right. And it's not that it was that one piece of straw that broke the camel's back, but it was the total load. It was the total weight that the camel was carrying around in that one more, it's a terrible analogy, right? It's <laughs> a poor camel, but this one more piece of straw is, uh, just happened to be the thing that caused something to break down. And the body or the human body. I, I think of that analogy a lot because when it comes to health and wellness, it's very similar because there's a whole lot that goes into just our lifestyle in general. And we're meant to carry a burden. We're meant to, we're built that way, right? The human body is designed to heal and it's designed to carry a certain load, right? So if you if you guys have heard me talk about it before, but total load is referring to what are, what are all of the factors that we're carrying around with us that have, you know, some sort of an influence on how well we feel. And as time goes on and we live our life, those pieces of straw start getting thrown on the back that it's never one single thing right? But it's a lot of things, which is why I'm asking Jeff questions from across the board, because trying to see if there's maybe one bigger piece of straw than something else. Uh, but a factor as we age and as the years go by, like Jeff already just talked about, is age. And as we age, our ability to carry a heavy weight starts to decrease. So it does not necessarily mean that we have to go and try to be as squeaky clean paleo or super duper healthy or, you know, try to eliminate all of the burdens on our life. It's not, that's not what I'm trying to get at. But as we age, we sometimes have to be even more careful. And when our body was forgiving uh, years ago, it may not be quite as quick to forgive now, you know? And so I like, I look at my husband, for example, and you know, he, he's even noticed he's 30, gosh, 33. He'd yell at me if I was wrong. I think he's 33. <laughs> um, he's, you know, really, really relatively young. And he's kind of noticed that, yeah, there are certain things that will pop up even in, even in his early 30s that didn't before due to lifestyle factors. So a part of this, a part of this is definitely age, Jeff. So I want to confirm yeah. that, you know, so that's definitely a piece of it. And so that's some weight that has been thrown on part of the load that you weren't necessarily carrying before. And then, so what that means is that the other factors that maybe weren't as aggravating before could potentially have a greater impact now. Right. So right. those are variables. We need to start looking at the variables that you, that we can have an impact on and knowing now that, for example, our age and maybe just toxic exposure, not, not to say that it's your fault, but just we live in a relatively toxic world and that buildup happens over time as well. So those kinds of things combined all make the others feel uh, more severe. So I think that the, my first stop on this, on the couple piece of, pieces of maybe thoughts I have for you is definitely rest. So one of the ways to mitigate age and to mitigate the ability of, of our bodies to uh, process and to heal, right? We're healing on a continual basis. Every single day, every single minute we're healing. We, we sleep at night in order to heal and recover, right? And so one of the ways to help improve our body's ability to heal and recover and just feel our best is to give it the time it needs to do that. And that would be with real rest. And that's a difficult one 
to talk about, right? Because not, not everybody sleeps well. That's a factor. And not everybody has the time to rest. So you know you best. And wherever you can, if you can, that would be a really good place to focus on. And I think even before food and even before fitness and even before some of the other things we're going to talk about, I think rest would be your first stop and would be the most impactful stop. Okay. So I would say try to aim for, I have this written out in my book, but because it's hard to know how much rest is right for you. And I'm a proponent of everyone's constitution is different. Mm -hmm. And, you know, your magic number of sleep is different from somebody else's. And so a way to kind of figure it out, your daily sleep number, I call it the DSN, is if, if you have the time for this and if you have the ability to schedule this kind of self-experiment, is you spend, if you're, if you're already feeling relatively rested, right? So last night, my husband and I got in at 2 a.m. from a flight. So tonight would not be the night to do it because I'm going to be <laughs> tired. <laughs> but if you're all, already relatively rested in your normal routine, Try to go to bed at a relatively normal hour for you, and then as best you can, try to work with your family to not wake you up the next day until your body naturally wakes up, and so that would mean trying to close the blinds as much as possible, turn around the clocks, turn off the phone, turn off any kind of stimulant as much as you can, and so that you sleep until you wake up, until your body's rested. And if you do this between two and four nights in a row, whatever's feasible, then keep track of the amount of time you slept and take an average of it. And that gets you pretty close to your daily sleep number, your DSN. Okay. Okay. And so let's say you sleep without being woken up uh, and do what you need to do the day before, of course. If you have to be up at 6 a.m., then try to go to bed much earlier, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that you're still waking up in a natural, in a natural state. Um, but do your best to keep those numbers. And what you're doing then is you're kind of giving yourself, you're able to then reverse engineer a bedtime in the future. So let's say you naturally wake up, your average of this experiment is seven and a half hours. And so whenever time you have to get up, you, of course, would set your bedtime for the opposite. And that would really start getting, it's an actionable way to, say, get more sleep, right? Um, and there are some things you can do to sort of help induce more restful sleep at night, to turning off blue lights, avoiding blue light exposure uh, at least two hours before bed. And you can do that by installing Amber kind of apps on your computer or on your phone. Right. And so what blue light and forgive me, Jeff, if this is review for you, uh, but blue light for anybody listening who does, who's confused about what I'm talking about, blue lights on our, on our electronic devices actually mimics sunlight. And we're creatures, we're creatures of this earth. We are designed actually, our circadian rhythm is actually designed to flow around the sunlight. And so that's why sometimes we wake up when the sun comes up and we get tired in this natural rhythm when the sun starts to go down because our hormones in our body, our sleep and wake hormones actually follow that flow. And when we have, let's say if, for example, I'm up late working on my computer, what I'm doing is I'm artificially stimulating the release of cortisol in my body, which tells me it's still wake time. And then that's going to make it more difficult for me to get natural rest at night. 
So that's one of the things that we can do. You can also get, get really geeky with me and go get some amber goggles from Home Depot. You know, those <laughs> welding goggles. That'll help block the blue light as well. So yellow light isn't going to be as stimulating as blue. A cooler bedroom, for example, is good. Trying to avoid electronics at all if you can two hours before bed. Sometimes I know that's just not practical. Uh, things like that, right? So very practical tips. So I would say that would be a good first stop. Use the tips that resonate with you. If you happen to have a copy of my book, Jeff, I've got about 14 different ideas in there on how to improve sleep. So those are, those are some good ones. Those are some of the bigger ones. And then after that, looking at nutrition, I would say it depends on where you're at in terms of mindset, Jeff. Like if you're looking at this thinking, if I'm thinking about my husband, my husband is not the kind of person who necessarily would do a challenge. Yeah. Right. Um, but he's the kind of person who could say, here are my three things that I know are contributing to how, how I'm feeling, you know, which one should I focus on? Right. You know? And so it depends on where you're at. If you're of, and also to listeners, if you're of the mindset where you're like, no, I'm ready to do something. I want to rip the bandit off. I want to do something drastic. Then I would suggest, for example, another paleo type challenge, one that's going to cut out the sugars, cut out all the grains, and really get you focused on eating lots of vegetables, especially cooked vegetables, good fruits, good healthy vegetable-based starches, and then of course good proteins. Yeah. Right. So that would be the rip the bandaid off approach. You know, most quick, the quickest, most effective scenario. After that, I would look at it across the board, and I would say, let's say if Let's say three things, Jeff, are, um, and you, I know you're eating lots of vegetables now, but even boosting that up more, uh, just because the vitamin and the mineral content is going to help in a lot of ways. So let's make that one of the things. Let's make um, any kind of sugar in your diet the second. Okay. And then let's make the grains the third right? So I would say looking at those, you could probably have a pretty big impact by focusing on one and a half of them. Okay. Okay. So an easy one probably might be the vegetables, right? Cause it, we're adding something in, not taking something out. Right. Uh, so what would that look like? That would look like trying to add in maybe on your meal prep on the weekends when you're prepping your eggs and your bacon for breakfast, which is great. Mm. Also try to prep some cooked spinach. Yeah. You know, and try to get to where you can have, uh, but a, between a half a cup to a, a whole cup cooked volume. So that's a lot of spinach to cook down, but you know, something like that and put some before you eat it, squeeze some fresh lemon juice on it because that extra burst of vitamin C will help make up for any that was lost or most of what was lost in the cooking process. Okay. Okay. So that becomes a, there a balanced component to the meal. So that would be a really good one slam dunk to put in, during lunch and dinner, wherever it fits in with the meal, because those are all different. I get that. Those are going to change. Try to add something in there. Cruciferous vegetables, broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage. What are the other ones? Kale even. Sometimes those can bother people if we eat a whole bunch of them at once. So if you do eat those, make sure they're well cooked. Because uh, okay. I wouldn't want any digestive stuff to then get in the way of the good work that you're doing. Uh, so if you, if you do do those, I recommend go ahead and, uh, make sure they're well cooked, but adding those in are great cooked peppers, stuff like that. And again, I keep talking about cooked vegetables mostly because we can get more volume in 
that way than if they're raw and also more fun to eat. So therefore likely more sustainable for us in terms of right. our lifestyle. Um, and if you're nervous about the nutrients loss, just try to keep some lemon or some lime juice on hand, squeeze it on and we'll get some good vitamin C. Okay. Um, so that would be a good slam dunk, one of the three, right? And then for the other half, right? The one and a half, I would say for the other half, look at wherever you're feeling you, you would think you could do without feeling like you're really living without a whole lot. I would look to either the bread or, or the sweeteners. And I would either then commit to uh, unsweet tea, you know, maybe two thirds of the time, half yeah. of the time. Or I would commit to, I'm good. I'm going to continue with grains, but I'm going to try to go bread free. Okay. Right. So maybe on the occasion, let's say every couple of weeks, your family has pasta or you have your tacos, your breakfast tacos on Sundays. You still have those, but maybe you're going, when you go to a Panera or out to a restaurant or something like that, you skip the actual baked bread. Okay. You know, and so kind of, it's kind of a way to just meet your, your body halfway, I think between the sleep, the vegetables and making some sort of a dent in the, the sweet, the sweeteners or the, or the breads will have a huge impact. And before I forget, I'd be remiss if I didn't say this for the breakfast tacos, you can always something people tend to tolerate corn a little bit better. And you may already be having corn tortillas, but you wouldn't have to go without if, if that wouldn't be if that would be acceptable to you if you were to swap in a corn tortilla instead of a flour. Okay. Um, but stuff like that, you know, just making small, small changes that don't feel like you're doing any sort of a diet or a challenge yeah. uh, sometimes can be the easiest. I hope that's helpful. Yeah, it is. Um, when we did the, the paleo primal thing, you know, a few years ago, whenever it was, um, it, that was the thing. I think it, it felt like it wasn't sustainable mm -hmm. um, because we did go, really, really strict. Uh, and, you know, I think that's why we kind of were looking forward to the end of the three weeks. So we could add some of the things back. Right. And, you know, of course, over the years, you end up adding more things back and more things back. Uh, but yeah, these, these definitely help. Good. Yeah. I feel you. I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a paleo blogger for Pete's sake and I still have half and half sweet tea. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I hear you, you know, there's, I think that a really, really strict paleo protocol for the long run, it's just not realistic for most. Yeah. And, and if we do, if we force ourselves to stick to it, I think it actually has a detrimental impact on our mindset and our relationship with food overall you know, and that kind of feeds that reward versus punishment mindset around food. And that's, right. you know, it's just a good thing to try to be aware of. So I, I'm with you. Uh, I think that, I think you're on a really good path and I hope, I hope that's helpful and I hope it, um, you feel it's not overwhelming. No, this, I think these are definitely doable suggestions for sure. Awesome. That sounds good. Well, good, Jeff. Does it, do you have any, does that bring up any other questions for you before we go? Um, I guess the only other thing would be, you know, do you feel it's essential to do, I, mean, I know we're focusing on nutrition on this part, but yeah, is it essential, also essential to try to add in uh, some weighted workouts oh. for looking at the, from the other side of things? Uh, yes. I'm, yeah. I'm glad you, I'm glad you asked that again. I, for, I ignored your question the first time. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I do believe it will help. Okay. And that's another thing that as uh, we age, strength training, the importance of it, the value in it, and what we get from it also increases. 
So I think that strength training is a really great thing to do. Even if you're only, even if you get it in one time a week, Yeah. Uh, I think that you'll, you'll probably see some impact from it. So that's a great one to do uh, a CrossFit style workout for folks listening. Something like that would incorporate strength training. If you dropped into a CrossFit box one to two times a week, in addition to your endurance activities, you probably yeah. see a huge impact. Okay, cool. Awesome. Well, this is great, Jeff. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Have a great day. And for all the listeners, uh, thanks so much for joining us on the call. We'll be back again next week.